0: I forgot to mention is if you are a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus and uh, you've not been baptized, this is what God calls us to do in response. And so uh, the first step to doing that is membership class. And so I encourage you to sign up for that uh, if you would like to pursue baptism. Let's open in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for the book of Daniel. God, it is so relevant today to us, Lord. Uh, Because we are exiles in this world because heaven is our home, Lord. And yet you call us to live faithfully and gratefully and joyfully in you, God. And Daniel is just such a great example of that, Lord. And so, Lord, pray that you will help remind us as you have, Daniel, that you reign over all things, even in difficult situations and even over the most powerful empires in the world. You reign and because you reign, we can live with great hope. And so remind us of that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start this morning with uh, the game Name That Tune, all right? And what I'm not known for my singing, some of you may know this. Actually, I am known for my singing. I'm not known for good singing, I should say. And uh, I'm not sure if this is singing or if it's beatboxing. Pastor Jonathan said maybe it's scatting, but here's how the song goes, all right? And I want you to see if you can name that tune, all right? Ready? Dun 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 dun. Dun 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 dun. dun. Shh. What is it? Ice ice baby or under pressure. under pressure? Right. A lawsuit tells us that they start exactly the same way. Right. I want to focus on the older song, which is Under Pressure. And that song became wildly famous. I believe it was in the 80s because it's very catchy, but also because it resonated with so many people who felt like they were under so much pressure. And so I want to actually read the lyrics of that song, and I want you to see if you can resonate with what this song says. So this is Under Pressure, which was a a joint effort of Queen and David Bowie. And the lyrics go like this. Pressure. Pushing down on me, pressing down on you, no man asked for. Under pressure, that burns a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on streets. In the terror of knowing what the world is about, watching some good friends screaming, let me out. Pray tomorrow, get me higher. Pressure on people, people on streets, "'Chipping around, kicking my brains around the floor. "'These are the days it never rains, but it pours. "'Turned away from it all like a blind man. "'Sat on a fence, but it don't work. "'Keep coming up with love, but it's so slashed and torn. "'Insanity laughs "'Under pressure, we're breaking. "'This is our last dance.'" This is ourselves under pressure. Have you ever felt anxious? Have you ever felt stressed out? Have you ever felt like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, like everyone is depending upon you? All of these are reminders that we are a people that are often under extreme pressure. I remember times of of extreme pressure in my own life, uh, like my second semester of my college career, Uh, First semester, I worked really hard at school and I got a 1.4 GPA. Just in case you don't know, that's not good. That's not good at all. They do this thing called academic probation, I found out. And so I needed to do better second semester or else I would get kicked out of school. And in my mind, if I get kicked out of school, then I would never get a job and then I'd live in a van down by the river, right? And so I was under this extreme pressure to do well second semester and I'd done so poorly the first semester. I remember when when I was married, uh, freshly married, we moved out to Bloomer, Wisconsin, from Missouri, and I couldn't find a job. I couldn't find a way to support my family. I was wondering, how am I going to do this? Even when we planted Jacob's Well Church, I remember, you know, just Trish and I thinking, man, what if nobody shows up? What if what if this doesn't pan out? Then what's next? You know, all of us feel pressure to one degree or another. And all of us feel pressure in other areas of our lives. Sometimes it is like a mist. Sometimes it is like a downpour. And I know all of you have experienced, and maybe you're there right now, where you are literally underwater with pressure. And so let me ask you, how do you handle that pressure? What do you do when you are under pressure? You know, many times, if we are honest, we don't handle pressure well. One thing we try to do is we try to medicate. By using sinful, destructive behaviors as we try to seek to escape the pressure that we're under. Other times we lash out at the ones that we love. And other times we just give up. Like we figure, hey, I'm just not going to care about anything in the world. I'm not going to do anything. And this is our solution for how to handle pressure. But God's word tells us there is a better way to handle pressure In this world, the pressure that you are under. And we will find that in Daniel chapter 2. So if you would please open to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 24 today. If you don't have a Bible, there's a red Bible in the seat in front of you, and it's page 737 on that red Bible. You will want a Bible if you don't have one. Um, if you have the children's Bible, it's page 931 in there. Uh, if you notice, I had to actually blank out the title in the sermon because I didn't want to give away, you know, the clues to the, name that tune. But Under Pressure and Exile is what... The title is for the sermon today. Now if you were not here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon. At least listen to the intro of the sermon because we set Daniel inside uh, the timeline of redemptive history. Just to give you a brief recap, a very brief recap of it. When God delivered his people out of Egypt uh, to bring them to the promised land, he said to them, he said, he said, don't go chasing after other gods. Worship me. Be faithful to me because I am the Lord, your God who delivered you up out of Egypt. And if you go and you chase other gods, then I will bring discipline upon you and I will scatter you among the nations. For hundreds of years, hundreds of years, they chased after other gods. For hundreds of years, God warned them saying, turn back to me, turn back to me, turn back to me. And they didn't do it. And so after hundreds of years, God brings judgment and discipline upon his children. And he brings in first the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC to to, to, uh, to, to dominate the Northern Kingdom of Israel. And they are dispersed throughout the Assyrian Empire. And then in 606 BC, uh, the Babylonian Empire comes in and they conquer the southern kingdom called Judah, and those people are scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire. Now, a year after this happens, that's 606 BC, and 605 BC, the story of Daniel begins. And it begins in Babylon because Daniel and many of his friends who were leaders in the community, the cream of the crop of the community in Judah, were taken by the Babylonians and put in Babylon so that they could, their gifts could be used there. And so they are there in Babylon, living amongst a foreign culture with foreign values, a foreign language, and many foreign gods. And we said, this is much like us today. Uh, Those who are trusting in Christ for their salvation. Because for us who trust in Christ, our home is in heaven. Our home is not here on earth. And so we are exiles here in this world. And this world has foreign values. It has foreign languages. It also has foreign gods. And so we learn from the book of Daniel how are we to engage faithfully in the world that God has put us in. Now last week we saw a couple things First off, we saw that we must recognize how the culture seeks to conform us to its image. I mean, it's in every magazine rack that we walk past. We are are called to faithfully and fearfully follow God in all that he commands us to do. And we are to use our gifts that God has given to us for the welfare of the city that God himself has exiled us to. Today we're going to continue and learn how are we called to respond under pressure in the midst of exile, and so we're going to read verses one through twenty-four. But I want to just start by looking at verses one through thirteen to understand the pressure that Daniel and the other men in Babylon are under. Okay, so let's start to uh, Daniel two, verse one. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled. And we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying, lying, And corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. In the time and the culture of King Nebuchadnezzar, dreams were a big deal. People believed that dreams would show you a forecast of the future so that you could change the things of today to make the future change. And we see in some ways that God does use dreams quite a bit in the Old Testament. You see it in the life of Joseph. And so here Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that is alarming to him. And he comes to the wise men of Babylon, the professional dream interpreters, and he wants them to interpret his dream. Now that is a completely normal uh, course of action when, when the king would have a dream. Because this dream not only has, has, uh, has ramifications for the king, but for the entor- entire Babylonian empire. And so he goes to them and he asks for the interpretation of the dream. But what he does that is not normal is he says, I want you to actually tell me what my dream was. Don't only interpret my dream, but actually tell me what my dream was. And the reason why he does this is found at the end of verse 9. He says, therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. You see, I think King Nebuchadnezzar has wised up a little bit. You see, these wise men, these dream interpreters are conmen. Uh, They're like fortune tellers. And King Nebuchadnezzar has had enough of them telling them very vague prophecies or wrong prophecies about what dreams say. And so he's skeptical of them, and rightfully so. And so he says, listen, in order for me to trust your interpretation, I need to know that you're getting this interpretation from God. And in order to know that you're getting this interpretation from God, I need to know that you can tell me my dream. Tell me what happened in my dream, and then interpret it, and then I will trust your interpretation. And so you can tell these men are under tremendous pressure. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. I don't think it's a stretch to say probably none of us in this room have been under greater pressure than what these men were under at this point. Maybe you have, but most of us have not. I mean, imagine if someone comes to you and says, hey, I want you to tell me what I'm thinking. And if you don't tell me what I'm thinking, I'm gonna tear you to pieces and destroy your home and ruin your family. That is, (laughs) that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Now, how do the wise men of Babylon respond? Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, to which we say yes and amen. This is maybe the wisest thing they say. They're saying, listen, humanity has a limit to our wisdom. That's good for all of us to know, okay? He continues, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. I love that line. We can chuckle at it this side of the incarnation. We know that God does become flesh. Verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now why? Are they also seeking Daniel and his companions? Why not just the wise men of Babylon? Well, in chapter one last week, we read that Daniel and his companions were actually 10 times wiser than all of the wise men of Babylon. And so they come to kill Daniel and to kill his friends because they they are the wisest of all the wise men of Babylon. Now, when we read this passage, uh, many of us know how this story goes. We know that Daniel doesn't die. We know that, you know, he, you know, we know about the fire furnace. We know about the lion's den. We kind of know how those things go. But remember, Daniel and his friends were not reading the book of Daniel, they were living the book of Daniel. And they didn't know what would happen. They didn't know if they would be torn limb to limb. And so, again, I think it's pretty easy to say Daniel was under more pressure than any of us have ever experienced in our life. This is a genuine threat. This was not an idle threat from the king. He was ready to clear house. He was ready to cut the payroll from those who were not producing what they had promised. And so Daniel's under the pressure of his own life, of, of the life of his friends being destroyed and of the lives of all of these Babylonian wise men. And so how... Does Daniel respond under pressure? And that's what we're going to look at today. How does Daniel respond under pressure in the midst of exile? And as we look at how Daniel responds, I want you to consider your own life. Consider where in your life you are under pressure. Either tremendous pressure right now or mild pressure. And as we look and see how Daniel responds, see how that matches how you respond under pressure. And may it lead us in the way that God has called us to respond under pressure. The first thing we see here is prudence under pressure. Verse 13 says, So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him. Then Daniel replied with prudence. That means he replied carefully and with tact. And discretion, which also means wisdom, to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Again, put yourself in Daniel's sandals for a little bit here, okay? Maybe you're at home and you're enjoying a good book, a nice hot hot cup of tea, and you hear a knock on the door. And you open up the door, and it's the king's men. And they come and they say, we have come to kill you. (laughs) How do you respond in that situation? I mean, do you, do you curl up in a ball and start crying? Do you start pleading for mercy? Do you run away? Do you soil yourself? Like, what do you do? I probably do all of those, right? But what does Daniel do? Daniel responds with discretion and wisdom and sound judgment and discernment. Daniel does not give in to knee-jerk reactions, but seeks to deal with the situation intelligently and wisely and prudently. You know, there is something I know I have to learn from this because I often want to respond with a knee-jerk reaction, let my emotions carry the day, no matter what pressure situation I'm in. Let me give you an example. Last week, I shared with you that I'm coaching one of my son's football teams. And at the beginning of the year, at the parents' meeting, we said, listen, your kids will play the first three quarters. But in the fourth quarter, we might switch some things up a little bit to get the best matchups and the best chances for our team to win. Well, last week, we were in this really tight, pressured game. We were only up 6-0, and, uh, and they're driving down the field, and one of the other coaches pulls out a kid, and he's out for two plays, and he tries to put the kid back in, but the kid's so frustrated, he doesn't want to go back in. Well, we end up winning the game, and we're celebrating, we have the meeting, and then after the game, we start walking across the field, me and the coaches and some of the kids, and these parents are making a beeline for me, and they don't look happy. It's a pressure situation. Not like Daniel, but it's a pressure situation, and one of the coaches said to me, he goes, you have to wait 24 hours, and I go, what do you mean? He said, he said, the rule of thumb is, you know, passions are high right now, energy's high, like, just wait 24 hours to have this conversation. But you know what? I didn't want to wait 24 hours. I wanted to set this guy straight right then and there. And so he came up to me. He's like, hey, why didn't my kid play that last series? And so I went on to explain. And what I discovered after explaining it to him was that I should have waited 24 hours. (laughs) It it wasn't a horrible conversation, but it also wasn't a very good conversation. I actually had to go and repent to them later and say, forgive me. I was a bit defensive. Um, I'm sorry for that. And then we had a really good conversation. But I should have listened to this guy. should have I should have backed away and I should have sought the Lord and approached it with prudence and wisdom and humility. Now, I don't know about you, but there are many times where I just want to lash out. I just want to respond immediately when I'm frustrated, especially to my children. But Daniel is a good reminder that when we are under pressure to to, to slow down, to take a deep breath, to seek the Lord on how to respond wisely and humbly and prudently, James puts it this way in the New Testament. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person, by the way, that includes you, just so you know, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Do you know why James 119 is in the Bible? Because this is hard to do. (laughs) Because we don't do this naturally. You know, I mean, the Bible doesn't really have to command you to enjoy sunshine. We just do that naturally. It has to command us this because this is hard to do, especially when we are under pressure. We don't want to listen to other people. At least I don't. I just want to set them straight, right? I just want to correct them, let them know what the truth is. And yet, here God says, be slow to speak quick to listen, slow to anger. And while this is impossible for us, it is not impossible for the God that lives inside of us. Through his spirit, he gives us the power to do this. And this is what we see in Daniel's response. Slow to speak, quick to listen. And one way that you do that is through asking really good questions, which is what Daniel does. Look here in verse 15. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? In other words, why is it such a rush? Why is there no trial? Why are you just putting us to death? Then Arioch made this matter known to Daniel, the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar and the failure of the wise men to interpret it. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now notice here, before Daniel knows the interpretation. Before Daniel knows what the dream is, he sets an appointment with the king to come and tell the king the dream and the interpretation. And this is a tremendous step of faith for Daniel. You see, back in chapter 1, we are told that God had blessed Daniel with understanding in all visions and dreams. And so Daniel knew that God had given him that gift. That when someone tells them their dream, he can translate it for them and interpret it for them. He knew he had that gift. He knew that God would give that to him. But what he did not know is if God would actually tell him what another person's dream was. And yet here, based on God's past faithfulness... To to translate the dream for Daniel, he believes that God can also give him the dream. And so he sets an appointment to take that step of faith, to move forward, to do one more thing courageously for God wisely and carefully and prudently to translate the dream, but also to show the dream. You know, a few weeks ago, I took my boys to Noah's Ark Water Park. And when we first went in, uh, we went up to the big slide area and we looked at it and we were like, whoa I'm not sure we want to do this right it's big and it's scary Um, so we started with some of the smaller slides and we built up our confidence and built up our faith that the slides won't shatter apart or anything like that or we won't get hurt and we slowly and gradually moved up to the bigger slides and then the bigger slide and then to the biggest slide that's kind of how it goes right where might God be calling you to take that next step of faith? Wisely and prudently and carefully, where might God be calling you to go to a little bigger slide? To something that is a little bit scary for you? Maybe you've been helping out in children's church and, 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 you, and you've done that and you've seen God work through you. Maybe it's time to step forward and to start teaching in children's church, which is really scary for you. Maybe you've been praying in supporting missionaries, maybe it's, maybe it's time for you to be a missionary. Maybe you've been coming to church and you've been enjoying it, but man, going to small group, that is so scary because, you know, those people have the Bible memorized and I don't, right? And so it's really scary because they know everything and I know nothing. Maybe it's time to take another step of faith and connect with a small group or pursue membership and plant your flag. Maybe you've been building relationships with a neighbor. Maybe it's time to take that next step of faith and start a spiritual conversation with them. You see, God stretches us beyond our capacity so that we can depend upon him. He stretches us to take another step of faith, wisely, carefully, prudently. But he calls us to step forward under pressure in exile so that we can be reminded that it is God who works in us and through us. For his glory. So, under pressure, we must step out courageously, wisely, prudently in faith. Secondly, we see prayer under pressure. Verse 17 says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You know, these verses are not hard to understand, but they are hard to practice. Daniel, when he's under extreme pressure, goes to his friends and calls for them to pray, to pray urgently for the mercy of God, to reveal the dream to him so that he can go and save himself, his friends, and the Babylonian wise men from destruction. Now we know later in Daniel that prayer was an essential part of Daniel's life. He didn't just pray in emergencies. He prayed really at all times. And we know this. And even his enemies knew it. You see, later in Daniel chapter 6, they're trying to uh, get rid of Daniel. And so they go to the king and they say to the king, Hey, king, why don't you make up this edict that no one can pray to any other god but to you? And if anybody does that, then we're going to throw them in the lion's den. And they created this because they knew Daniel was a man of prayer. They knew Daniel was going to pray even at the threat of his own life. He had that reputation. It's a good reputation to have, isn't it? And so we read in Daniel 6.10, it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed prohibiting prayer to anyone but king, the king, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Is your life marked with prayer. You know, if you're like me, you may say, I'm too busy to pray. Daniel knew prayer wasn't a spare tire. It was the steering wheel. Prayer was connecting with the all-powerful God of the universe. Back in chapter 2, Daniel, with the weight of the world on him, hundreds of lives at stake, gathers his friends, calls them to prayer that that he might know the dream And the interpretation and go to the king. You know, I am amazed how in urgent times I so often fail to slow down, to stop and to pray when I'm under pressure. Um, An example of that, one of the most constant, not the biggest thing of pressure in my life, but one of the constant things of pressure in my life is to preach every Sunday morning. Um, I dig into God's word and there's the pressure to figure it out. Uh, figure out what exactly it's trying to say, figure out how to communicate it in a way that is accessible to you, that is beneficial to you, figure out uh, a way to come up with five amazing, life-changing, laughable, tear-jerking illustrations every Sunday, right? There's the pressure to, to, you know, communicate it winsomely. And who here doesn't love public speaking, right? I mean, there's tons of pressure when it comes to preparing and preaching a sermon every Sunday. And so what happens is I start on my son my sermons Monday morning. I I work on it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, take a break on Thursday. It's my family day. work on it Friday, and then I get to Saturday. And so often, the work overflows on Saturday because there's so much going on during the week. And so I'll get to Saturday, and I'll look at my paper, and there's not enough there or what is there. I really don't like, and so I feel this tremendous pressure. You know, to get it done, to make it good. And so I'd stay up late Saturday night, get up early Sunday morning, trying to get the sermon ready to, to share with you. And I'm not saying this so you can say, you know, poor Dan. We all have tough things in our life, right? There's hard parts of our job. But here's the thing. Here's the embarrassing part. Do you know what I often forget to do in the midst of that? Pray. <laughs> I know. It's, you can do God's work without going to God in prayer. It's sad. It's disturbing, but I often forget to go to God in prayer in the midst of pressure. What I do instead, and I think I talked about this earlier, is that I will either medicate through like trying to escape, so I'll start planning our family vacation, or I'll go to ESPN, or I'll order something on Amazon, so I'll I'll try to escape through those means, or I'll just work harder, right? Read more commentary. Listen to more sermons. Do all this stuff. But what I fail to do is the most important thing which is to pray. And so let me ask a very silly question. Where do you feel pressure in your life? In that situation, do you pray? Have you prayed for it? I mean, it seems like we should say, of course we did. But so often we just turn to ourselves or we turn to idols instead of turning to God in prayer. We are called to pray under pressure. Philippians 4, 6 says it this way. Do not be anxious about anything that happens when we're under pressure. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Jesus. We are called to go to God in prayer because he is big enough to handle our pressure situations. He has broad enough shoulders to take it on. We can surrender it to him and be faithful in the situation that he has called us to. And so how should we be faithful in under the pressure of exile? Well, we must step out courageously, wisely, prudently in faith. We must pray fervently and frequently and ferociously to the one who holds all things in his hand. And finally, we must praise under pressure. Verse 19 says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Let's pause there. So we may see an equation here in this verse where it says something like this. Well, of course Daniel praised God because God just saved Daniel's neck. God just showed him what the dream was and the interpretation of it. I mean, of course he's gonna praise God when God saves his neck. But you know what? If you actually look at what the interpretation of the dream was, his life was more at threat than ever before. Because basically, what the when he translated the dream, what the dream was saying is like, hey, big shot Nebuchadnezzar, most powerful man in the universe. Guess what? Your life is a vapor and so is your kingdom. There are other kingdoms coming. There are other kings coming that are going to conquer you, that are going to wipe you out. And those kings and kingdoms are going to be replaced. All of them are a vapor except for the one kingdom and the one king that belongs to the Lord God. And that will last forever. And so simply by proclaiming the translation of the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was putting his life in jeopardy. Because many times what the kings would do is they would take only the people that told them the interpretations that they liked. And those who didn't tell them the interpretations they liked, they would just get rid of them. And yet here is Daniel. Daniel is a man who has just been exiled from the promised land. No, And he knew that it was the will of God. He says it's the will of God. He said it was God who exiled them. Here is Daniel who is now walking in the shadow of death, not knowing how the king will respond to him, a man who was quick to cut off people's heads. And yet in the midst of this, Daniel praises God. Verse 20, Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. In other words, he is praising God. He is adoring God because he is acknowledging that God reigns even in the midst of his suffering. Verse 21 continues. He says, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells within him. God takes the things that are in darkness and brings them to light because he is the light. Verse 23, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Again, what amazes me here is that Daniel praises the Lord even though the Lord had exiled him from the promised land to Babylon. Even though the Lord had now put him in the shadow of death with this translation of the dream, Daniel praises God and he can do this because he knows that God reigns today and that God will reign forevermore and that Daniel is a part of that kingdom. I'm not sure if you are familiar with the story of Job in the Bible, but Job was a man who was very prosperous, very wealthy and had a very big family. And Satan comes to God and he says, hey, God, the only reason why Job praises you is because you put a hedge of protection around him. If you took that away, Job would curse you. And so God says, okay, I'll remove this hedge of protection. You can do some things to him. Just don't kill him. And so Satan takes away his livestock. Satan takes away his servants. Satan even takes away his family and his health. And yet in Job 13.5, Job says, though he slay me, (laughs) He's talking about God. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. How can Job hope in a God who from his experience has slayed him? Later in Job 19, he says, again, this is thousands of years before Jesus. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. You see, the reason why Daniel can praise God in the midst of suffering and in the shadow of death, and the reason why Job can praise God in the midst of suffering and in the shadow of death, is the exact same reason which is that they know which king is going to live forever, and they know which kingdom is going to reign forever, and it is the kingdom of God which they are a part of. And so they know their suffering is temporary compared to eternity. I've used this illustration before, but, but there's many times where I will watch football games uh, a day after it happens, and I already know what the score is. I already know who's going to win. I know if my team's going to win. So if they fumble, it's like, it's okay. I know we're going to win, right? If they, if they throw an intercept, it's okay. I know we're going to If our team scores, it's okay. I know we're going to win. When we walk through life as it seems like the enemy is winning the game, we know how the game ends. And the game ends with God winning it all. And the Lord Jesus Christ being king over all and savior over all and us ruling and reigning with him in holiness and happiness for all eternity. And so we can rejoice in God even in the midst of not knowing the future. Let me end with this. Um, In that song, uh, Under Pressure, Uh, by Queen, Uh, it identifies a real issue all of us experience, which is extraordinary pressure. But if you notice, it provides no solution at all. Uh, he, he, he uh, he, He tries to escape pressure. He says he turns away from it like a blind man, right? He tries to sit on a fence, just pretend it doesn't happen. He tries love, but love is slashed and torn. And then the song ends with these Wonderful, hopeful lyrics. Ready? Insanity laughs, and under pressure, we're breaking. This is our last dance. This is ourselves under pressure. You see, this song identifies the problem of pressure, but it provides no solution. But you know what? God does. Look at verse 24 with me, really quick. When we'll by looking at this verse, it says, Therefore, Daniel went. "'Went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed "'to destroy the wise men of Babylon. "'He went and said thus to him, "'Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. "'Bring me in before the king, "'and I will show the king the interpretation.'" Daniel was giving himself up as a sacrifice for his enemies, for the wise men of Babylon. Daniel did not know if he was going to live or if he was going to die. Now we know from the rest of the story that Daniel did not die, that he continued to live. And he was actually raised to a position of honor. But there was coming a day where a greater Daniel would come upon the earth. A greater Daniel who would lay down his life for his enemies. A greater Daniel who responded prudently throughout this world, who, who cried out to God in, in, in prayer and encouraged his disciples to do the same. A greater Daniel who worshiped the Father even in the midst of the suffering of this world. A greater Daniel who was under so much pressure that he sweated blood. There is a greater Daniel that would come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on the greatest pressure the world has ever known, the pressure of the just judgment of God for our sins. He took that pressure upon himself, upon the cross, and paid for it in full so it no longer has to be pressure in our life. We no longer have to worry the condemnation of God if we trust in Christ because he has taken condemnation on our behalf. Friends, do you know this greater Daniel? Do you know Jesus? He knows you. And he calls you to trust in him. as the greater Daniel who will save you from destruction. And so where are you under pressure in your life? Let us remember in the midst of pressure to respond prudently and wisely and courageously, taking another step of faith. Let us remember to pray, to reach out to the God who is all powerful, who does reign, who is in control. And let us praise God in the midst of it, knowing how the story ends, that God wins and we are on his team. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much again for Daniel in this passage. It's just so applicable to our lives, Lord. God, I confess, and I think there are others here who would confess that we come to you far too slowly in prayer, Lord that we try to fix things ourselves or we escape to, to idols, Lord. And so, God, pray that you will press this, these truths upon our heart, that we come to you quickly and that we would remember, even in the hardest things of life, you are in control. Grant us that grace to remember. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.